0: Hi everybody, um, my name is Natasha Mazurv and I'm on the Saba GB Board of Directors and a co-chair of the Know Your Rights Committee. Um, I will be co-moderating this event with my co-chair Aditya. Do you, have you want to introduce yourself?
1: Yeah. Hi everybody, uh, my name is Aditya Parakut. I'm a um, an associate in the corporate section of the Mint's, uh, of the Boston office of Mints 11. Uh,
0: I guess a little bit of background, sorry. I work in house for travelers companies in the Boston office as well. Um, So I'm gonna get started and get into introductions. Um, Today we have three panelist speakers um, from the legal community in Boston or former legal community in in Kevin's case. Um, We have Sasha Emanuel. She is the current president of MBLA, the Massachusetts Black Lawyers Association, and also she works at McCarter English. And I have Kevin Nolan as well. He's the former chair of diversity, equity, and inclusion at the BBA, who is a current partner at DLA Piper um, based out of Texas. And I also have Jeanette E. who is the new president of Massachusetts Black Women's Attorneys and an associate at Hirsch, Roberts and Weinstein. I'll go through the order that I just did that in. So Sesha, if you wanna kind of give a little blurb about yourself, um, your professional life background and as well, a little personal background into yourself as well.
2: Sure, Uh, well, thank you all for attending. My name is again, Stesha Emanuel. The current president of the Massachusetts Black Lawyers Association. Um, And I'd like to identify as a black woman, that's what I am, Um, who is a mother, who is a wife, who is a products associate at McCarter and English, as well as a first generation uh, college graduate, and then clearly law school. Um, I just a bit of background about myself. I have, you know, the typical immigrant story via my parents. Um, My father came over from Haiti. Um, and, you know, had the story of, you know, working, not knowing English very well, um, you know, two pair of pants, three shirts, um, and, you know, the same for my mother, but just in a different way. And so they always instill this idea of education um, in its importance and stressing it. And um, as I began to mature and become an adult, I started to realize why. Um, One, because some of those opportunities weren't afforded to them, but also because they wanted to shield me from what would happen in the future, Um, and they thought that education was a way um, in which to make my overall life experience uh, better um, and more equitable, given the unfortunate circumstances that we are in where it's still uh, a lot of racial tensions and racism that runs rampant in our institutions um i think that's all
0: that was good thank you and i think we can all relate somehow to the immigrant you know experience especially with our parents or as immigrants ourselves for some of us
2: oh yeah and the uh, you only get three choices of a career Lawyer, doctor. What engineer. we picked,
0: right? <laughs> yep, definitely. I still sometimes get the idea that I should have been a doctor, but, you know, this is, this is good enough. <laughs> um, Kevin, just moving on to you next. Just quickly a professional and personal, if you want to talk about yourself a little bit.
3: Sure. So my name is Kevin Nolan and also kind of first-generation lawyer in my family uh, currently, partner at DLA Piper in Austin. I was in Boston for, you know, ten years, where my career grew up as a lawyer. So I learned everything I know about being a lawyer from all my experiences in Boston, which were great. Um, speaking a little bit about personally, you know, married with two children, two daughters, one seven and one's four, and that, of course, ends up being a big part of your life and taking a lot of your time and energy. And of course, the best part was watching them grow up. Um, Immigrant story, like I am from Jamaica, so like I am the immigrants and I came here when I was eight years old. I grew up in New York City and just kind of getting from where I was then to where I am now, has been like an incredible journey. And being able to kind of take, like Stisha said, advantage of education and help kind of better yourself and put yourself in a better position. is something that my parents always pushed And I've had friends, you know, and family members that didn't always take the right choices and make the right decisions and pass. And trying to be that person to kind of help others kind of think about what decisions they make going forward has always been something that's been big to me, especially when it comes to black men and the way we're treated in different situations in this country. So it's always been something that's key to how I think about myself and also think about others that were in a similar position as myself.
0: Thank you. And we'll get a little bit more I think into that into that experience specifically for you as well um, as a a black man and a black lawyer in in this community and what we're going through currently this year. Um, So Jeanette, just moving on to you as well. if You want to give a little background.
4: Sure. Thanks, Natasha. Um, So I am an associate at Hirsch Roberts Weinstein where I practice employment law. Right after law school, I practiced uh, commercial and residential real estate law um, at a law firm in Boston, and then I worked in legal services at Greater Boston Legal Services for for two years, practicing employment law. And I um, I'm from Massachusetts. I I grew up in Lexington, Massachusetts, which, for folks who are from the area, um, know that that's a predominantly white town. So being You know the only black person in my classes um which is actually quite similar to some of my you know experience being in the legal community um in boston that's something that you know i've been familiar with and i've been very involved in anti-racist initiatives as well as diversity and inclusion initiatives just based off my background um growing up in lexington probably starting as early as as middle school Um, and as far as a little bit more about my, my personal background, so my, my father is Nigerian. Um, so in many ways, I identify with that, uh, like, first generation experience, but also my mother is African-American. So I, you know, directly the descendants of slaves and also have that experience as well.
0: Thank you. I think you're the only native Massachusetts resident here. Oh, no, Stisha, sorry. You also. <laughs> Gay too. <laughs>
2: Apparently, I left that out. Sorry. Oh, no. <laughs> and I'm from Boston, if you can believe it.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, I think all of us are from out of state, but it's been interesting working here as a, as a minority lawyer, for sure. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm just going to jump into my first question, and it's kind of a general question, just because I feel like this work gets thrown out a lot, but we don't get a definition really or or a text besides a textbook definition what allyship means to people of color um to our black americans and especially what it means right now in terms of our discussions about it so if i could just go through this is probably the only question i ask of all three of you um if you could define allyship in your own words and how, it, how the term has evolved and what it means to you in your, in your lives. Uh, let's start with Kevin.
3: Well, I think allyship ends up being, you know, it's a relationship where you have someone that is supportive of kind of your experience, right? And I know those are general words and terms, but what it really kind of means is that, If you have an individual that's going through something, a certain experience, how can you be there for them? How can you be supportive of that experience and do that in a way that does not burden them in their experience, right? That's kind of the crux of what's been difficult, I think, to navigate in this current climate, which is like you have a George Floyd situation, you know, it's great for you to be supportive, but you can't then ask the Black people in your firm to be in all the diversity committees, to be in all the diversity panels, to do everything that has to be as, as putting them forward to like teach everyone else in the firm how to kind of think about these issues, because then that just puts an undue burden on them just to be the educator when they're also experiencing these different feelings and these different things that are going through them as they're watching kind of their people being persecuted in all these different ways publicly, right? So I think being an ally ends up being, how can I support people in a way that doesn't just mean I'm asking them to explain everything they go through to me in a constant basis. So can we set things up where we're having a discussion where I say like, hey, you know, I saw that, I feel this way, I've seen these things happen, I think this is what I can do to be a better mentor, a better supporter, a better mentee, a better whatever for you. I think these things are helpful and this is how I can do something to kind of progress your experience. This is how I can help your path be easier kind of going through this here at the law firm, here at the organization, here in the community. And these are things that I think about that I think would be better. And also try to educate yourself without kind of saying, I need you to do it for me as the black attorney or the black person, but I've gone out and I've read it, how to be an anti-racist. I've gone out and I've decided to find out ways that I can think through these issues and then bring those things that I've learned to the experience and saying how I can help kind of facilitate that and making your environment a better place for you to be. So that's how I kind of think about allyship and what allies should be thinking about in this, in this environment.
0: Thank you. That's very, I think that walking that fine line of having discussions, but not having someone just, you know, educate us without us doing any work is something that I know for a fact that I struggle with and working on and a lot of South Asians, and the other, you know, minorities in our community are, are working on towards so that's a very big part of what we're discussing today. So Thank you. Um Cisha, if you want to go into your Kind of definition of what you think allyship is?
2: Yeah and I mean I think Kevin summed it up perfectly. Uh, I'll add to it a little bit. Uh, I usually like really uh, short phrases. So my phrases would be to listen, to respect, to do your homework, but then also action. Um, and so I'll talk a little bit more about the action piece. It's not enough to do, say I'm an ally, to do the homework and have a one-on-one conversation with the one Black person you know. Um, or, you know, it, it, it is about what are you doing beyond that? Um, because a lot of the issues that we face, um, I at least would uh, surmise come from the lack of Um, discussion and the lack of accountability and the lack of saying this is a pattern this is what's happening in the world let's address this on a larger scale as opposed to let me just talk to Stisha because I feel comfortable talking to Stisha and that's where it it ends Um, and so when we're talking about action and we're talking about allyship I think of partnership and so if I have a partner and they see something that is happening they should take some type of affirmative action to speak out um, and not just let things linger or then again pull me to the side after an event and say I thought that that was weird or that was racist how are you feeling now like no 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 be there in the moment with me Um, because oftentimes we end up in these situations and we look at look to our allies or at least who we think are our allies and they're they're silent Um, And I just will quickly give this one quick story and then stop what I think of as an ally. There was an instance where at a deposition, um, I'm in products and so it's predominantly white and male, Um, barely women, never an attorney of color. Um, And... Uh, an opposing, not even opposing counsel, co-counsel um, for a different client um, during my cross-examination had started to object and his voice started to get louder and louder. Um, and then at one point, he just completely stopped me and was like, can we take a break? And before plaintiffs had really even barely left the room and closed the door, started to turn around and yell at me and say, well, I didn't like your line of questionings and doing all of these uh, um, you know, body posture and everything that, you know, in that moment, I'm sitting there first off thinking, who are you? Who are you talking to? But then also understanding, I can't respond in the way that you're, you're acting towards me, because there is an already an automatic assumption of who I am. And it will take it from this guy's being a jerk and out of pocket to, oh, well, Stisha got in an argument with so and so. This was, you know, just an argument but it was, there was a lot of racial undertones. Um, But I say all that to say in the room, there were like 18 other lawyers who are there, who see me all the time, and not one person spoke up, not one person said anything. And so that is a failure if you call yourself an ally to be in that room, see that situation, and not say something.
0: Thank you. That's a very specific example that I think a lot of legal attorneys you know who work in litigation or in depositions i think a lot of times they think that that's not an appropriate place to say something but it it should be an appropriate place to say something if, we, if you see it um, jeanette if i could just finish off with you if you want to go into what your idea of allyship is or if you want to touch on whatever stisha and kevin mentioned as well
4: sure um so i definitely echo you know what what kevin and, and stisha said I think just to add a little bit to what they both said, you know, being a strong ally to me means being okay with being uncomfortable um, because it's not going to be easy. If you're really doing your job as an ally, there are going to be moments where you might be speaking up on someone else's behalf and you don't really know what the outcome might be. And it might actually affect you or your position or you might lose a friend or you might have an uncomfortable conversation with a family member. So I think that, you know, there's being an ally and then there's also like really taking the next step and and being a strong ally and and also being aware of your privilege and you know we all have different pockets like what i like to call pockets of privilege in our lives and so we can all be allies for different to the extent you have privilege in a particular area really using that privilege to be an ally and then the last thing i'll say is just specifically when it comes to being an ally you know for the black community you know in this country a lot of the history that we have been taught in school is either not true or it barely scratches the surface. So, you know, everyone kind of knows MLK and they know about Rosa Parks, but to really understand what's happening in this moment and to really be an effective ally, you have to really do the research. You have to read the books. And even for myself, even being, you know, an African-American person, a black person in the US, I wouldn't even really know my own history if it wasn't for the fact that my parents weren't weren't very intentional about making sure I know the history. So I think, you know, that's also part of, of being an ally, is just really putting in the work.
0: Thank you. So I am following through on that, on our definitions of allyship here. Um, this is for Stisha. As the current president of MBLA, what role um, do you play in your organization in activating allyship between your organizations and, and others um, in the legal community or, or maybe non-legal community as well?
2: Yeah, well, as uh, president, you really set the tone for your year. Um, and in many respects, you are the gatekeeper to what initiatives are we focusing on? Um, who are we partnering with? What are the themes for the year? Um, and so for me, I am wor- working with the knowledge that I love collaboration. I think it's important, um, but when you go to collaborate, you also, you tend to look at who's in your network. And I think, again, that's where the disconnect starts to happen uh, because, you know, there are some relationships that are organic. And so I know Jeanette. So, you know, if I'm having an event, I would probably call her up or text her. Um, But if I don't know you, Natasha, as well, I might not think to collaborate with you. Um, But we might be, we might have the same ideas and want to execute the same event. Um, So I think it's really an important piece to talk, to start to look really closely at your network, but then also wonder or try to figure out Whose network are you in? Um, and so if you're not in those networks, uh, and again, if there, there are um, events taking place, they're not going to necessarily think to call you. Um, so I like to be as much of an open book um, person, call, text, email. Um, but I really think my role as president and in terms of collaborating uh, with others is to step outside of as Jeanette noted at one point, your comfort zone, and figure out who are people outside of your network.
0: I think that's definitely important. Otherwise, how are we going to have the conversations that need to be had if you don't talk to people that you don't know, right? So, um, and I, I think that was one of our core motivations for having this event in that we wanted to have it primarily focused on the voices from the Black legal community, because we hear ourselves talk all the time at our own events. So it's very, I think it's happening more now, but its it was rare to have, you know, just a primary group of people from a different network or a different organization speak with just your voice without us, you know, trying to get in there or contributing our own experiences. And those events I'm sure will come down the line, but right now I think it's important to primarily focus on where we need to. Um, so Kevin, uh, just moving on to you. Um, you work in in a private firm, um, and so I just wanted to speak on what's your relationship between your office as a a private firm and the Black legal community as a whole, In more specifically, has that relationship evolved um, recently, given the past year?
3: Yeah, so I think our firm, and I can only now speak for kind of the Austin office of DLA, we have had a really good relationship with the Austin Black Lawyers Association down here and I think that relationship has now just continued to develop in the recent environment but I will point out that I think now there's been more intentionality with reaching out to not just that organization but to like black legal advocacy programs and black, and black uh, pro bono type of organizations in Austin which I thought was great had co-managing partners of the office kind of reach out to me and say hey the austin justice coalition which is an organization down here that kind of deals with different activities representing people and they're like oh they they're looking for some pro bono assistance do you think that makes sense for us to take on there's an hbcu here in austin that we're trying to get a program together with and that was also something that was kind of spawned from our co-managing partners so i think the environment has caused people to think about not just, hey, how can we help as far as, you know, the legal community is concerned, but are there other organizations out there, are there other institutions in Austin that can use some legal support or benefit from a partnership? And we've started to reach out in that way to kind of be more of a forceful partner with those organizations. And I think it's great, right? And I think we need to capitalize on the momentum. Like there's there's different things that are happening. There are different thoughts that are being kind of had by different people and different levels of your organization. And I think we tried to tap into that kind of in June and July, right? Like while things were really kind of at the forefront and tried to make sure that we could then take advantage of that momentum and we've done some relationship building through that time and we're hoping that that continues.
0: So just a quick follow up. I know you said you based it off of your Austin office. When you were here in Boston, did you think that that was a, a different kind of environment in terms of, I know there are kind of like a stigma around, you know, Boston and it's not so notorious relationship with minorities, especially African Americans. Did you feel different up here or?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think the difference in Boston was that Bo- I actually think the MBLA Uh, It was a a great organization as far as kind of the stuff that we did and what we pushed. Um, As far as my firm and what they did with kind of partnering with different organizations in the community, I didn't get the same sense. But to be fair, I don't know if I was getting the same sense from DLA pre-George Floyd, right? I think this kind of awakening has kind of sparked something different. So I don't know what the reaction would be if I was at a Boston firm now, right? So I don't know if it would be different in that way. Can't speak to that. I would say like before that, yes, I don't know if there was a lot of outreach to kind of black organizations that were not legal as far as my firm was concerned. But I think there's might've been a kind of change of heart in the way people think about that now.
0: Gotcha. Thank you. Um, Jeanette, just moving on to you, uh, congratulations. you the new incoming president of MBWA. And I just wanted to ask what roles do allies play in your organization? So from the outside in, um, if you could speak to that a little bit.
4: Yes. Thank you. Um, well, I think, uh, for allies, something that is really important to MBWA, is actually being a great listener. Um, So kind of similar to what you said earlier, Natasha, we're used to conversing with ourselves all the time about our issues. And in fact, while we do have um, events that are specifically catered to black women attorneys, there are one events that we have like networking, just general tips on networking. We also have our IW Wells fundraiser, um, an afternoon tea where we honor trailblazing Black women attorneys, and so we have events like that that are we're very intentional that we want it to be, you know, open and we want people who don't identify as being a Black woman attorney um, to attend. And part of the reason that we want people to attend is because we want people to understand our experiences and we're very much so focused on the advancement of black women attorneys. And because it's a predominantly white profession, we can't do it alone. So, you know, it, it can become like an echo chamber or like speaking to the choir, if we don't have people who are maybe not members of MBWA or people who um, are not black women attorneys actually coming to our events. So, Part of you know a, a way a way that people can be an ally for us is actually supporting our events. Well, now that we're in this virtual world, uh, supporting our Zoom events or webinars, and just kind of hearing about our experiences. And so, and and we hope that by hearing about some of our experiences and the things that we go through, you know, maybe the next time someone's on a hiring committee and they see a resume, they're going to think twice, you know, or maybe people are like, oh, wow, unconscious bias is a real thing. Maybe I need to do a self-assessment, and I need to get trained on this. So, like, that's, you know, one of the ways in which we feel like people can be allies.
0: So, do you think that, I know a a lot of times, especially with affinity bars, people join the bar that they think that, you know, they belong to, or do you think that it's important for um, just like new law students or new members of the bar to just join whatever is interesting to them rather than, you know, aligning themselves with a specific affinity bar that's representative of their community?
4: Yes, I, I actually do. I do agree with that. I think that um, just generally my advice for joining different organizations is actually getting involved in something that you find interesting and something that you're passionate about. So even for NBWA, we have a community service committee, we have a programming and events planning committee. And for example, our community service committee, we do events like yoga for a cause. Yoga, that's something that a lot of people like. So I think just you know, whether it's MBLA, um, whether it's Maha, Saba, it's just getting involved in a committee or a cause that you're you're actually interested in.
0: Awesome, thank you. Um, kind of narrowing the focus a little bit on um, this questions for Kevin. Um, as a partner in your firm, is, is having a diverse team a priority in, in your hiring practices or your mentorship practices, is that something that you as an African-American man to focus on and try to push within um, your organization or your firm?
3: Yeah, so absolutely for me, I definitely seek out to have a diverse team, right? But I think the goal is not just it be a priority for me, but it should be a priority for the partners kind of generally in my group, you know, in my practice area and the firm generally. So we when I'm putting my team together, I do always think about that as far as kind of what the team looks like. And the more diverse team I can get, the better as far as I'm concerned. But I also try to influence that when I'm on a team that's organized by another partner, right? To think about well, what makes sense, like who are we having on this team and why is this person selected over another person? I think that's something that's very important. I think organizationally, we've been also talking about figuring out the best way to track a lot of these kind of teams that get put together one of the issues that we've run into is that a lot of clients have been really focused on kind of like the diversity of people's teams when they do pitches and you'll have some partners that will put a diverse team together for the pitch but don't actually give the work to the people in the pitch right so we've been really focused on how do we make sure we close the gap on that to make sure that you're gonna put this team together, then to make sure that you're using the people you're trying to use to attract the work and not just put them on the bill to get the work and then kind of just give it to the same old people you always give it to. So we're working on that and also trying to figure out even when you do the pitch, you get the work and you do actually give work to the diverse people on your team, make sure you're giving them some quality work and not just giving them the grunt work on the project right so there's a lot of tiers to like the involvement of you on a team and just being thoughtful about that is the way that you can really kind of give people the opportunities that they should deserve based on their skill set And so I, like I said, I always try to make sure that my teams are diverse because I know what it's like to be a black associate, to be the only black associate on the team or in a group or anything like that. So I always try to make sure that I try to keep those people involved. But I think our goal, a goal as a partner in this firm and a goal as anybody in the organization is try to make sure as you progress up the chain in your organization is to also think about how do you influence your partners or other people in that organization to think through involving people on those teams and also giving them substantive experiences. So it's definitely something that we are continuing to work on. And I'm definitely trying to make sure that that gets influenced in my group generally.
0: And I think that's something we can speak to throughout all like the South Asian community and other um, minority legal communities that are in those positions to also take those steps to, like you don't have to be a partner, but you can do small steps in diversifying your team or, you know, ask where the work goes. It gets, you know, equally separated. And I think this things you mentioned are very specific for people that work in firms or not in non-firms, you know, to implement in their own lives. It, do, it doesn't have to be just the minority doing it, right? It has to be everybody can do that little small part as a lawyer in, in the community. So thank you. Uh, so this is to Sisha and Jeanette. Um, Stichra, I'll start with you. Has there been greater engagement within your organization from allies recently reaching out to be more involved like us? And if so, what have you been telling them in terms of when they try to you know, collaborate and wanna do like a bridging event or something like that? Like, what do you, what do you say to them?
2: Um, So I think we started to talk about this a little bit, but the explosion, I will call it, um, at which, you know, people started to reach out to want to collaborate after Breonna Taylor, after George Floyd. um, I I mean, I I can't even put it into words. Um, I mean, quite honestly, every day I'm fielding different requests, which is great. Um, my team is ready for it um, and we have executed a lot of events including the Walk um, in Solidarity for Social Change, which you know is a great example about allyship and how that came to be where I got a phone call from um, you know Ruth Over, and she's um, the former president of Maha talking about the George Floyd situation and then we started to snowball ideas about well how do you feel about it what's the reaction how do we make sure that the legal community understands what's happening to us Um, and how do we bring about social change and so it kind of snowballed into this event where you know we had last you know um, Wednesday and we involved all of the affinity um, organizations and it was really helpful that the response was always yes let's do it. What do you need from me? Um, And I think, you know, right now, again, just taking a step back and fielding what I've seen in previous years from now, it's it's more. Um, What I would appreciate coming to the table is um, ideas and execution. Um, And so it's great that you want to collaborate with me, but please don't put the onus on just me and my board, Um, (laughs) you know, because I'm sure we're all busy. And so how do we uh, make sure that it's an event, one, that's a little bit unique. Um, After a while, it's fatigue. You know, talking about my experience as a black female or a black attorney, uh, you have to also recognize it's triggering. Um, because then I have to relive some of the experiences that I prefer to forget. Um, and or I feel like I have said this a 100 times before. Why do I have to say it for the 101st time? Um, and so when I'm looking at or receiving requests for allyship um, and collaboration, just generally, um, what I'm hoping is to push the, the ball beyond just discussion. Discussion is great. You need it. So, like events like this is so important. Uh, but then the question becomes, what after? Um, and, you know, help is always needed and appreciated.
0: Yep. Thank you. Um, I just realized I'm going over time. I could probably spend the next two hours asking you guys questions, but mm-hmm. um, I'd have to give Aditya a chance to get in on this. So, um, Aditya, if you want to take over.
1: Yeah, sure. Thanks, Natasha. So uh, in the time we have left, about 20 minutes, I think we'll split it up 50-50, spend half the time just talking a little bit about South Asians in particular and South Asian lawyers in particular and how uh, our community can, uh, what we can do to help be better allies. And the second uh, would be audience questions, questions from the participants. Uh, So the first question, I guess, would be to all three of you, uh, you know, historically, South Asians are a bit of a minority that may have been compared or held up as a model minority, which historically have not been publicly in engagement so much with social justice reforms and the struggles that other minorities, uh, including Black people, um, face. So, you know, without uh, and being mindful of what Kevin said at the start about, uh, you know, asking the, the minorities that are suffering to, to educate us you know, what do you think that we could do that South the South Asian community in particular could provide as a way to bridge a gap between the two legal communities and sort of get in front of pr- promoting justice reforms in a, a helpful and ga- engaging way. So for any of you. I'll, I'll, I'll
4: start. <laughs> um, well, I think, you know, the part about the model minority, it's a myth, you know, so if you read some articles it will say the myth of the model minority and I think that's like a really good starting place for helping to bridge that gap and you know I'm not from the South Asian community and even if I was from the South Asian community I know I can't speak for that community but I think maybe once there can start to be more of an understanding that in fact that is a myth that you know as people of color you know there are certain um shared experiences that we do have with being oppressed not you know not to say that all the experiences are the same but there are some common trends and so i think once there's more of like an understanding of that you know specifically even if you look at the legal profession there there are not necessarily a lot of extremely prominent south asian judges you know lawyers i mean they're there but It's the same thing as it is with black attorneys and black judges there. We definitely need more. And so I think once there's more of a understanding within the community that there's still a lot more progress that needs to be made, then it's like, okay, our goals can align and now we can really start working together toe to toe. But if there's not really an understanding that there's an issue, I think that's kind of maybe where sometimes the disconnect is happening.
3: Yeah, and I'll, and I'll join in there because I think that was an excellent way of, to frame it, which is I think sometimes minorities feels like, minority groups feel like, oh, that's their problem. And we have our problem here, right? And we're focused on our problem and they can focus on their problem. But I think what Jeanette said is correct, which is if you look all the way up the food chain, how many South Asian partners are there at these big firms? How many South Asian judges are there? how many South Asian Supreme Court justices are there, right? Like if you start going all the way up the food chain mm-hmm. about what all where all these places end and you see that you're not getting the same kind of participation that you should get at those places, that means there's something that's happening further below that is stopping that advancement. And if you think about it as advancement through the legal channels, and if we're all not getting... kind of representation that we should be getting as we get up the food chain here that means there are similar things that are kind of are holding all of us back for that kind of advancement and if we think about it in that way then there's naturally you should think about ways that we can all work together so we can all get better representation right so that's the thought process about and I know we haven't normally thought about it that way because everyone's kind of in their own silo about how we can fix different things. But if we think as a united collective about, hey, we all aren't getting the representation and we also work together to fix that so we can all see ourselves and our community better reflected in legal participation, then that's kind of how you, we can view allyship in a way that's beneficial for both Saaba community and for the black community. Oh, I,
2: I echo both of their sentiments. They summed it up perfectly. There's an invisible glass ceiling that uh, caps us all at a certain point and understanding that, recognizing that and unpacking that isn't really important. The only other um, comment I would add to that is uh, when you're thinking about the pipeline, a lot of times we think about establishing the pipeline or the fact that there is one, no one really ever talks about the maintenance. Of the pipeline um, and just like a general pipe if you don't take care of it at the time um, and fix the holes then it's going to ev- inevitably break down and so I think in terms of when we're talking about allyship and uh, diverse communities of color advancing in the legal uh, profession or any profession we really got to think about the maintenance of that pipeline and how do we shore it, shore it up so that
1: we can all advance Great, thank you all. Um, So Saba GB in particular, um, you know, we've we've tried to be engaged with the community and with other affinity bars. Um, And this year we've come up with a couple of new things, uh, Women's Lunch Circle, we've held a couple of immigration reform events and we co-sponsored the great, uh, the Walk Walk in Solidarity for Change uh, last week. And I know that the national organization, uh, Saba of North America also, I think they have an event tomorrow with their social justice task force. Um, something else we've done is try to broaden our law student fellowship where, uh, so that the applicants um, can serve in any underserved community. Uh, I'm not sure if that's gone through yet, but it's, it's something we're thinking about. Do these types of events, do you feel, um, do they, do they affect any change? And inter- do, do having these sort of internal discussions on how to be allies benefit the overall black community? Um, and if they don't, um, you know, would promoting more diversity events help? Uh, what what do you think that we could do uh, better or more?
2: I mean, I think those are great initiatives. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) to be honest, I, I think you're spot on. The only other thing I would add is, you know, when you are, you know, Uh, when those programs are going forward, you know, is there a diverse group? And when I say diverse group, I mean, you know, are there decision makers in the room? Are there, you know, white allies, LGBTQ, uh, like allies, just allies across the board, because you really want to make sure that everyone is at the table and getting it. And so it's wonderful um, that the South Asian community is holding those events. Uh, But again, you just want to be careful to make sure it's not just you talking about this and it's not kind of getting out there to the masses um into your colleagues and the people that you're working with and so you know even if i'm not in the room are you guys you know are you talking to you know perhaps a white colleague about these issues
4: yeah i i agree with stesha and i mean i'm i'm always a big fan of events like this and and forums like this and i you know as part of my job but even before I started working at my firm I do a lot of trainings and you know and I know that like for example anti-racism or like unconscious bias trainings, they kind of get a bad rap but I think that for discussions like this you know sometimes things might not click right away but even if it's a month even if it's a year who knows when down the line like as my mother says everyone always has their quiet moments to kind of sit and reflect and think and so I think even if a few people you know when you have events like this or you know some of the other uh forms you mentioned even if it's a few people that walk away and they gain something from it that's still three more people that are now more knowledgeable about something
3: yeah and I just add one quick thing which is the I would say the continued engagement is key right there are times where and I'm guilty of this You know you you co-sponsor an event with an order the organization you guys get together you plan it you run it it's great and then boom we don't see you again i mean and it's definitely happening where it's my fault like i don't re-engage with them again until the next event we're trying to plan right instead of continuing the relationship in a more organic way and being just involved like hey we're not co-sponsoring anything but i should still be reaching out to you kind of having conversations discussions about not events, but just things that are happening because the more you have that other organization become a part of your natural kind of thought process, sounding board, then the more kind of things organically kind of sprout up because you just have the relationship. So I would just say all the events that you're talking about sound great, but just be mindful to continue the engagement with the other organizations because that's how you build the relationships that lead to
1: other things in the future. Hey, that's, <clears throat> that's very helpful. Thank you. Thank you all for that. Um, I see three questions from the audience. Uh, maybe we'll get to those in the remaining time we have about 10 minutes or so. So the first one, um, can anyone on the panel share one example of great allyship that they saw? And you know, when you felt the most supported? And Stisha, I am thinking of the, the, the where you didn't, but you have one where you did. That was so funny. I was going to say let me balance
2: that out by telling you a, an example of a really great allyship. First I'm going to take that uh, in, in a, like a minute or less. That um, example I gave you earlier about this 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 screaming man in which I put in his place professionally uh, but not in the way that I wanted to because I you know knew I was the black woman in the room. Um, I t- called the partner on that case and told her what happened and Her immediate response was, who do I need to get on the phone with? She went mama bear. Like, she was like, do I need to drive down to Boston? Like, you know, calling folks immediately. She didn't question, well, are you sure? Were you misinterpreting what he was saying? Are you being sensitive? No, she took me at my word. And in fact, I didn't even say, I think he's being racist. She picked up on it immediately. Um, and so I thought that that was so key. And then one other really great example of allyship, I, um, there was opposing counsel, we had been talking the, this entire time, I show up at the deposition, I don't know, I guess he didn't look up who Steve Sheldon Emanuel was, even though it's pretty obvious, at least to me, um, that I'm a person of color white partner walks into the deposition and instead of giving me the papers and knowing, even though I said I'm running the deposition, he hands it to the white uh, partner. My partner slides it back to him and was like, no, no, this is Stisha's show. You give that to her. Um, And so like that was, you know, a quick like put in your place like um, reminder that like, look, this person's in the room, respect her um, as a human being, as a lawyer. Um,
1: and so I think you know even small little moments like that just play such a huge role. Great, thank you. Um, thanks a lot, Disha. Uh, um, the next question we have is um, whether the panel could share their thoughts on whether bar associations specifically have a role to play in advocating for immigrant important issues. Um, affecting the black and South Asian community, such as immigration and bail bond reform, maybe police reform, Uh, you know, to what extent we as lawyers uh, in our professional organizations can help with this to advance the interests of the larger community?
4: Yeah, I guess I'll speak on that. Um, I think that's a really good question. Um, You know, as the person mentioned, You know, people do have different political views, even within like the same. You know, even if you have a similar um, background, and so just to be honest, sometimes even on our board, it's you know, our we have debates about what type of events to sponsor, (laughs) you know, to co-sponsor and stuff like that. Um, But I will say, I think there is a place. I know for MBWA specifically, and I think MBLA. Um, is a little is different because of their status, but because uh, we're a 501c3, we have to be very careful about getting involved in um, particular political um, events relating to like politics. Um, but I do I do think there there is a place to kind of assess what are the issues happening on the ground and and seeing how and seeing how we can help and be active.
3: And and I would add to that you know, bar associations also be key conduits to organizations that do this work, right? So if I know that the Immigration Justice I think Coalition is an organization that, you know, some bar associations partnered with to do kind of bail reform and people that are being detained by ICE and things like that. That organization has all the trainings, they know how to do all that stuff and you as an attorney in your bar association might not know of them, but if we as bar association kind of leaders partner with these organizations and make them available and let them know who the contacts are, doing that kind of work is also super helpful because, you know, when people join bar associations, they might not be aware of all these other organizations that are doing this kind of work, and if we can help enlighten those resources through our bar associations, I think that's a way to kind of help those organizations and also not like, duplicate efforts that are being done on that front.
2: And, and just a quick point to follow up on that, um, the Walk in Solidarity had a pledge component to it where we were challenging attorneys to donate 10 pro bono hours um, to either civil rights or social justice initiatives and so coming out in the next week um, we have a list of different trainings that you can pick from. A lot of those trainings are partnered with those bar associations. So, MBLA is holding a Cori training. Uh, You know, Maha has a public charge training coming up. And so, you know, in that vein we actually are starting to do a lot of those collaborations with organizations um and so you know to the extent that you're interested i do urge um, you to look on your respective websites or the mbla's website for the pledge campaign so that you can start to be in the know and if you want to be a part of those trainings you can
1: great thanks uh, and our third question is Uh, more a, just, you know, somebody in the audience has shared that they, they tried to speak. We've been discussing a lot uh, about how different flavors of minority as it were can, can help each other on the, but there's also this aspect of people who are not minorities who would like to help, but uh, sometimes feel uh, a little challenged in understanding what it's like for, for example, for being uh, the only person, when you walk into a room and you're the only person of color, what it's like, uh, you know, it can be challenging to get that description across to other people who are well-intentioned and would like to help and like to be allies. Um, I, I think it's a pretty difficult question, but is there anything that you think any way to, um, to help facilitate that allyship where the intent is there from people who are well-meaning without, um, without it being irritating and being like, well, uh, you know, there's no way for you to know. So like, you know, go to your, your hipster thing um, <laughs> without being mean that, that's anything you can think of that might be helpful for people in those positions
4: do you do you mean people in the positions like who are wanting to learn or the people who are in the position where you're letting the person know that this is your experience um
1: both i guess maybe okay. yeah. Mm -hmm. whichever is easier for you to answer
2: (laughs) yeah that's really uh hard to impact i know we don't have a lot of time left but um one of the things i would say is i came across a picture um that was really powerful and on one side it said um you know taking this policy has colorblind and it showed the number like nine squares of people who had been, um, you know, brutalized and murdered by the police. Then the next picture showed the races of all those people. And so like, you know, the juxtaposition of those two, then see the color and that, you know, color blindness. I know a lot of people like to throw that out is privilege. Um, and it takes away from your identity. And so starting, you know, whether it's a visual, whether it's, you know, again, you're you're talking about, you know, stories that personally affected you, um, or like quick little sound bites, you know, I think that those are really powerful. Um, Even Procter & Gamble, Gamble, I believe, had a commercial where you've seen the microaggressions happening to this one Black guy from the minute he wakes up. And all the, you know, people in the elevator, you know, kind of pulling back from him. Um, you know, the police taking a second look at him. And then you get to a courtroom scene. And then the the um, court officer says, all rise. And the person that is the judge is that Black guy that had already just dealt with all of those microaggressions. And so something like that, sometimes it's powerful. And you don't need to say anything after that. Just send them the clip.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, you know, it's, it's interesting, because even in it's been almost a week since the, the walk in solidarity. Um, and I've had several people reach out to me and just say, oh, wow, you know, like, they really didn't know what the experience of being a black attorney working in Boston, um, what that experience was like. So, you know, it is very taxing on us <laughs> sometimes to constantly have to, discuss our experiences, but the great thing about the Walk in Solidarity is it's filmed, so you could just literally send them the link <laughs> to the speeches where people talked about their experiences, which is really nice. Um, so it's like, to the, I think to the extent that you feel comfortable just letting people know or inviting them to events like this, you know, and, you know, asking them to step outside of their comfort zone as well, I think that is something that can have a great impact.
1: Great. Um, I think we're just about on time to to wrap up. Any final thoughts that any of you would like to share? And um, yep, go ahead, if, if you have any on the panel.
3: Um, I would just say, kind of quickly, you know, thanks for inviting me to the panel. I appreciate kind of the outreach. And, you know, as I had said earlier, I think the continued engagement between the communities is the essential piece to all this. I'm glad that you guys were thoughtful about putting this together and to just continue the engagement and I think that will kind of lead to even more and better programming in the future and this better allyship between the communities kind of going forward.
0: We have your emails now so be careful what you wish. <laughs> Might just start asking you to join us on all sorts of events from now on.
4: <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. I echo what Kevin said. Thank you for inviting me to be a part of this panel and for allowing me to share about MBWA and, and our experiences. And I do look forward to continuing to continue the discussion and, and collaborate and thinking of creative and innovative ways in which we could all continue to help each other. And yep. so please feel free to reach out to me um, if you have any questions. And
2: her email is behind her. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> um, and on that note, again, same. Thank you so much for uh, inviting me and letting me ramble for a little bit. Um, and I would also just say th- there's a personal touch to it. So just get to know the person. Just be like, hey, let's have a Zoom coffee date because you know we can't actually meet in person right now. Um, and I would urge different boards to do that. That was a, a goal of the mbla at some point to have all of the bar. Uh, board leadership come together just for a mix and mingle um and you find that there's so many similarity and shared experiences and that's what really holds us all together uh, and keeps the same and so definitely reach out and just you know sometimes just talk
1: <laughs> great well thank you all so much from from our side and uh, for for attending for co-sponsoring and thank you to the bba for for hosting us as a reminder this was a recorded webinar so it'll be available for you to send people to point to as a resource and hopefully be useful um, more people going forward.
0: Thank you all again for joining us and uh, we'll definitely be keeping in touch and hopefully we'll see you at future events. And we especially appreciate you taking the time out on a Tuesday evening to kind of just discuss. So we really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank
1: you. you. And to the attendees as well, the participants. Thanks for joining. (laughs)
0: thanks have a good night